Section two of Under the Shadow of Etna Sicilian Stories by Giovanni Verga, translated by Nathan Haskell Dull. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Yelly the Shepherd, Part One. Yelly, who had charge of the horses, was thirteen when he first became acquainted with the young gentleman Don Alfonso. But he was so small that he did not come up to the belly of the old mare Bianca, who carried the big bell for the drove. Wherever his animals wandered for their pasturage, here and there, on the mountains and down in the plain, he was always to be found erect and motionless on some eminence or squatting, on some big rock. His friend, Don Alfonso, while he was at his country seat, went to find him all the days that God sent to Tabidi, and shared with him his piece of chocolate and shepherd's barley bread, and the fruit stolen in the neighborhood. At first Yeli called the young nobleman Eccellenza, Your Excellence, as is the custom in Sicily, but after they had had one good quarrel, their friendship was established on a solid basis. Yeli taught his friend how to climb up to the magpies' nests, on the tip-top of the walnut-trees, higher than the campanile of Licoria. To knock down a sparrow on the wing with a stone, and to mount with one spring on the bare backs of his half-wild animals, seizing by the mane the first that came within reach, without being frightened by the wrathful whinnyings and the desperate leaps of the untrained colts. Ah, the delightful gallops across the mown fields with their hair flying in the wind, the lovely April days when the wind billowed, the green grass and the horses neighed in the pastures, the glorious summer noons when the whitening fields lay silent under the cloudy sky, and the crickets crackled among the clods as though the stubble were on fire, the bright wintry sky, seen through the naked branches of the almond trees shivering under the north wind, and the narrow path sounding frozen under the horses' hooves the larks singing on high in the warmth, in the azure, the delicious summer afternoons that passed slowly, slowly like the clouds, the sweet odor of the hay in which they plunged their elbows, and the melancholy humming of the evening insects, and those two notes of yelly zuffolo, or whistle, always the same, making one think of distant things, of the feast of St. John, of Christmas Eve, of the dawn of the scampagnata, of all those great events of the past which seemed sad, so distant were they, and made you look up with moistened eyes as if all the stars that were kindling in heaven poured showers into your heart and made it overflow. Yelly himself did not suffer from any such melancholy. He squatted on the side of the hill with puffed-out cheeks, quite intent on sounding his then he would bring together his drove by dint of shouts and stones, and drive them into the stable beyond the Poggio alla Croce. Out of breath he would mount the hillside beyond the valley, and sometimes shout to his friend Alfonso, "'Call the dog! Oe! Call the dog!' or, "'Fling a good-sized stone at the bay who's got the better of me and is slowly wandering away, dallying among the bushes of the valley!' or, "'Tomorrow bring me a big needle, one of Nialia's. He could do all sorts of things with the needle, and he had a heap of odds and ends in his canvas bag, in case of need, to mend his trousers or the sleeves of his jacket. He also knew how to braid horsehairs, and with the clay in the valley he used to wash out his own handkerchief, which he wore around his neck when it was cold. In fact, provided he had his bag with him, he needed nothing in the world, whether he were in the woods of Resecone or lost in the depths of the plain of Caltagirone. Nialia used to say, "'Do you see Yelly the shepherd? He is always alone in the fields.' as if he himself had been born a colt, and that's why he knows how to make the cross with his two hands. Indeed, it is true that Yelly needed nothing, but everybody connected with the estate would have gladly helped him in any way, because he was a serviceable lad, and there was always a chance of getting something from him. Nialia baked bread for him out of neighborly love, 
and he showed his gratitude by making her osier baskets for her eggs, reels of reeds, and other little things. Let us do as his animals do, said Nyavia. They scratch each other's backs. At Tabidi everyone had known him since he was a baby. There was no time when he wasn't seen among the tails of the horses pasturing in the field of the Letigiere. And he had grown up, so to speak, under their eyes, though really no one ever saw him very much, for he was forever here and there, roaming about with his drove. He had rained down from heaven, and the earth had taken him up, as the proverb has it. He was just one of those who have neither home nor relatives. His mamma was out at service at Vizzini, and he never saw her more than once a year when he went with his colts to the fair of San Giovanni. And the day that she died, they came to call him. It was one Saturday evening. And on the following Monday, Yelly was back with his drove, so that the contadino who had taken his place in looking after the horses might not lose a day's work. But the poor lad came back so upset that he kept letting the colts get into the ploughed land. Oe, Yelly! cried Massaro Agrippino from the threshing floor. "'You want to have a taste of the ropes, then, do you, son of a dog?' Yelly started to run after his stray colts, and drove them mechanically toward the hill. But always before his eyes he saw his mamma with her head done up in a white handkerchief. She would never speak to him more. His father was a cowherd at Ragoletti, beyond Nicoria, where the malaria could be harvested, as the peasants of that region say, meaning to signify its density. But in the malarious lands the pasturage is fat, and cows do not catch the fever. Yelly, for that reason, stayed in the fields all the year long, either at Don Ferrante's, or in the enclosure of La Comenda, or in the valley of Iliacitano, and the hunters or travellers who took cross-cut over the country saw him in this place or in that like a dog without a master. He did not suffer from this state of things because he was accustomed to be with his horses, as they moved about leisurely nibbling the clover, and with the birds who flew around him in bevies, while the sun accomplished his daily journey, slowly, slowly, until the shadows grew long and then vanished. He had time to watch the clouds pile up on the horizon, one behind another, and imagine them mountains and valleys. He knew how the wind blew when it brought thunder showers, and what color the clouds were when it was going to snow. Everything had its aspect and significance, and his eyes and ears were kept on the alert all day long. In the same way, when towards sunset the young herdsman began to play his alder whistle, the brown mare would come up, lazily cropping the clover, and also stand looking with great, pensive eyes. The only place where he suffered a little from melancholy was in the desert lands of Passanitello, where not a grass-blade or a shrub is to be seen, and during the hot months not a bird flies. The horses there would cluster together, with drooping heads to shade one another, and during the long days of the threshing that mighty silent radiance rained down without mitigation for sixteen hours. Wherever pasturage was abundant and the horses liked to loiter, the lad busied himself with something else, and he would make reed cages for the crickets, or carved pipes and little baskets of bulrushes. With four branches he could set up a shelter for himself when the north wind drove the long lines of crows through the valley, or when the cicadae fluttered their wings in the broiling sun over the parched stubble, he would roast acorns in the holes of his sumac fire and imagine they were chestnuts, or toast his thick slice of bread when it began to grow musty, because, when he was at Pasintello in winter, the roads were so bad that sometimes a fortnight would elapse without a single soul passing. Don Alfonso, who had been kept in cotton by his parents, envied his friend Yelly the canvas bag in which he stored his effects. His bread, his onions, his bottle of wine, his neckerchief for cold weather, his little hoard of rags and thread and needles, his little tin food-box and his flint. He envied him especially that superb spotted mare, that animal with rough forelock and wicked eyes, swelling her indignant nostrils like a fierce mastiff when anyone tried to mount her. Sometimes she would allow Yelly to get on her back and scratch her ears. She was jealous of him, and would come smelling round to find out what he was saying. 
Let the vajata be, Yelly would say. She isn't ugly, but she doesn't know you. After Scordu from Bucchiere took away the Calabrian, which he had bought at San Giovanni's fair, under agreement to keep her in the drove until vintage time, Zaino, the bay colt, orphaned, refused to be comforted, and galloped over the mountain precipices with long lamenting neighings, and its nose in the wind. Yelly ran behind it, calling to it with loud shouts, and the colt paused to listen with its head in the air, and its ears prickling back and forth, and switching its flanks with its tail. "'It's because they have carried off his mother, and he doesn't know what to make of it,' observed the herdsman. "'Now we must keep him in sight, for he would be capable of jumping over the precipice. That was the way I felt when my mamma died. I couldn't see with my eyes.' Then, after the colt began to try the clover, and to make believe bite, "'See, he is gradually beginning to forget. But this one will be sold, too. Horses are made to be sold, just as lambs are born to go to the butcher, and the clouds to bring the rain.' Only the birds have nothing else to do but sing and fly all day. These ideas did not come to him clear-cut and in sequence one after the other, for it was rarely that he had anyone to talk with, and therefore he had no cause for haste in starting them up and disentangling them in the depths of his brain, where he was accustomed to let them sprout and grow gradually, as the twigs burgeon under the sun. Even the birds, he added, have to hunt for food, and when the snow covers the ground they perish. Then he pondered for a moment. You are like the birds, but when winter comes you can sit by the fire and do nothing." But Don Alfonso replied that he, too, went to school and had to study. Yelly opened his eyes wide and was all tears while the signorino began to read, and he looked at the book and at the young master himself with a suspicious air, listening with that slight winking of the eyelids which indicates intensity of attention in beasts little accustomed to mankind. He was delighted with the poetry that caressed his ears with the harmony of an incomprehensible song, and occasionally he frowned, drew up his chin, and made it evident that a great mental operation was taking place within him. Then he nodded, yes, yes, with a crafty smile, and scratched his head. Then, when the signorino started to write so as to show how many things he knew how to do, Yelly could have stayed whole days watching him, and suddenly he would look round suspiciously. He could not be persuaded that the words that were said either by him or by Don Alfonso could possibly be repeated on paper, and still more those things that had not proceeded from their mouths, and he ended with that shrewd smile. Every new idea which knocked for entrance at his head made him suspicious, he seemed to try it with the wild diffidence of his vajata. But he expressed no wonder at anything in the world. He might have been told that in cities horses rode in carriages. He would have kept on that mask of oriental indifference, which is the dignity of a Sicilian peasant. It would seem as if he entrenched himself instinctively in his ignorance, as if it were the force of poverty. Every time that he remained short of arguments, he would repeat, "'I do not know at all. I am poor,' with that obstinate smile that was intended to be shrewd. He had asked his friend Alfonso to write for him the name of Mara on a piece of paper that he had found somewhere, because it was his habit to pick up whatever he saw lying about, and put it into his packet of odds and ends. One day, after being rather quiet and looking round anxiously, he said, very gravely, "'I'm in love with someone.' Alfonso, though he knew how to read, opened his eyes in astonishment. "'Yes,' continued Yeli, "'Massaro Agrippino's daughter Mara, who used to be here. But now they're at Marineo.' in that great house in the plain that you can see from the plain of the Letigiere yonder. Oh, you're going to get married, then? Yes, when I'm grown up and I have six onze a year wages. Mara knows nothing about it. Why, haven't you told her? Yelly shook his head and reflected. Then he opened his hoard and unfolded the paper which bore the written name. It must be that it says Mara, Don Gesualdo, the Campiere, has read it, and Fracola, when he came down here begging for beans. 
He who knows how to write, he went on saying, is like one who preserves words in his tinder-box and can carry them in his pocket, and can even send them this way and that. Now, what are you going to do with that piece of paper that you can't read? asked Alfonso. Yelly shrugged his shoulders, but kept on carefully folding his written leaf to put away in his heap of odds and ends. He had known La Mara ever since she was a little girl. Their acquaintance had begun in a pitched battle once, when they met in the valley, both of them after blackberries. The little girl, knowing that she was within her rights, had seized Yelly by the neck as if he were a thief. For a while they exchanged blows on the slope. You won, I won, as the cooper does on the hoops of his barrels. But when they got tired of it they gradually calmed down, though they still had each other by the hair. "'Who are you?' demanded Mara, and when Yelly, with less breeding, refused to tell who he was— I am Mara, the daughter of Massaro Agrippino, who is the keeper of all these fields here. Yelly then let his grasp relax, and the little girl set to work to pick up the blackberries that had fallen during their struggle, now and then glancing with curiosity at her antagonist. Just beyond the bridge, on the edge of the orchard, there are lots of big berries, suggested the little maid, and the hens are eating them. Yelly, meantime, was creeping off stealthily, and Mara, after sitting on tiptoe to watch him disappearing in the grove, turned her back and ran home as fast as her legs would carry her. But from that day forth they began to be friends. Mara went with her hemp to spin on to the parapet of the little bridge, and Yelly would slowly drive his cattle toward the slopes of the Poggio del Bandito. At first he kept at a distance, roving around and looking from afar, with suspicion in his face. But he kept gradually edging near, with the watchful gait of a dog used to stones. When at last he joined her they remained long hours without speaking a word, Yelly attentively watching the intricate work of the stockings which Mara's mamma had hung round her neck, or she looking on while he carved his pretty zigzags on the almond sticks. Then they would separate, he going one way, she the other, without saying a word, and the little girl, as soon as she was in sight of her house, would start to run, kicking high her petticoat with her little red legs. When the prickly pears were ripe, they would settle down in the thick of the bushes, peeling the figs all the live-long day. They would wander together under the immemorial walnuts, and Yelly would beat so many of the walnuts that they would shower down thick as hail, and the girl would tire herself out picking them up with jubilant shouts more than she could carry, and then she would scamper away nimbly, holding up the two corners of her apron, bobbing like a little old woman. During the winter time, Mara dared not put her nose out of doors. It was so cold. Sometimes, towards evening, could be seen the smoke of Yelly's fires of sumac wood, which he built on the Piano de la Teghiere, or on the Poggio di Macca, so as not to perish of the cold, like the tomtits which he sometimes found in the morning behind some rock, or in the shelter of a clod. The horses also found pleasure in dangling their tails around the fire, and they would cuddle close together so as to be warmer. In March the larks came back to the plain, the sparrows to the roofs, the leaves in the nest to the hedges. Mara took up her habit of going about with Yelly in the soft grass among the flowering bushes under the still bare trees, which were just beginning to show tender points of green. Yelly would make his way through the brambles like a bloodhound so as to discover the nests of the blackbirds, which would look up to him in astonishment with their little keen eyes and two children would carry, cuddled in their hearts, little wee rabbits just born, almost without fur, but already quick to move their long ears. They would scour the fields in pursuit of the drove of horses, entering the plains behind the hay-gatherers, step for step with the herd, pausing every time that a mare stopped to pluck a mouthful of grass. At evening, when they got back to the bridge, they separated, he going in one direction, she in another, without saying good-bye. Thus they passed the whole summer. When the sun began to go down behind the Poggio alla Croce, the robin redbreasts also went toward the mountain, as it grew dark, following the light among the clumps of prickly pears. The crickets and cicadae were no longer heard, and at that hour a great melancholy spread through the air. About that time, to Yelly's tumble-down hovel came his father, the cowherd. 
who had caught the malaria at Ragoletti, and could scarcely dismount from the ass which brought him. Yelly started a fire quickly, and ran to the hall for some hen's eggs. "'Put a little straw down in front of the fire as soon as you can,' said his father, "'for I feel the fever returning.' The chill of the fever was so severe that compare Menu, buried under his thick cloak, the saddle-bags of the ass and Yelly's sacks shook as the leaves do in November, in spite of the great blaze of branches which made his face white as a corpse. The contadini of the farm came to ask him, "'How do you think you feel, compare Menu?' The poor man could only answer with a whine like a suckling puppy. "'It's a kind of malaria that kills more surely than a rifle bullet,' said his friends, as they warmed their hands at the fire. The doctor was called, but it was money thrown away, because the disease is one of those clear and evident ones which even a boy would know how to cure. Unless the fever happens to be so severe that it will kill at any rate, a little quinine cures it quickly. Compare Menu spent the eyes of his head for quinine, but it was as good as thrown down a well. "'Take a good dose of Ecabelizo tea, which does not cost anything,' suggested Massaro Agrippino. And if it doesn't work as well as quinine, it doesn't ruin you by its cost. So he took the decoction of eucalyptus. But the fever returned all the same, and even more violently. Yelly attended to his father the best he knew how. Every morning before he went off with his colts, he left him his medicine all prepared in a drinking cup, his bundle of dry branches within reach, his eggs in the hot ashes. And he came back as early as he could in the afternoon with more wood for the night, and the bottle of wine and a little piece of mutton, which he had gone as far as the Cody to buy for him. The poor lad did everything as handily as a clever maiden would have done. And his father, following him with weary eyes in his operations about the hovel, sometimes smiled to think that the boy would be able to do for himself in case he were left alone in the world. On days when the fever left him for a few hours, Compare Menu would get up, all feeble as he was, and with his hands wrapped in his handkerchief, would stagger out to the door to wait for Yelly while the sun was still warm. When Yelly dropped the bundle of wood at the doorsteps and placed the bottle and the eggs on the table, he would say to him, Put the acalabizo to boiling for tonight, or remember that your Aunt Agatha has charge of your mother's money, when I shall be no more. Yelly would nod yes with his head. It is hopeless, said Massaro Agrippino, every time he came to see Compare Menu in his fever. His blood is all diseased by this time. Compare Menu listened without winking, with his face whiter than his nightcap. He now no longer got up. Yelly began to weep when he found himself not strong enough to help him turn from one side to the other, shortly after Compare Menu lay perfectly still. The last words that he spoke to his boy were, "'When I am dead, go to the owner of the cows at Ragoletti, and let him give you the three once and the twelve tumuli of corn, which are my due from March till now.' "'No,' replied Yelly. "'It's only two once and a half, because you left the cows more than a month ago, and one must be fair to one's padrone.' "'True,' agreed Compare Menu, closing his eyes." "'Now I am quite alone in the world, like a lost colt which the wolves may eat,' said Yelly to himself, when his father had been carried off to the cemetery of Licodia. Mara had been one of those who came to see the dead man's house with that morbid curiosity which is excited by horrible things. "'Do you see how I am left?' asked Yelly. but the girl drew back so frightened that he could not induce her to step inside the house where the dead man had been. Yelly went to receive the money due his father, and then he started off with his drove for Passanitello.' where the grass was already tall on the fallow land, and the fodder was abundant. Therefore the colts remained there for some time in pasture. End of section 2, part 1 of Yelly the Shepherd